It's great to be here. I'm going to read a gospel lesson. I don't know if you stand or sit, but since it's really short, you can just sit this morning. This is from um, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The word of the Lord. It is great to be back at Emmanuel. Actually, I, I knew you before you were Emmanuel. Um, did a lot of, spent a lot of time with Chris' team on, on the west side. I walked this property before it was ever a property associated with the church. Walked through, prayed for what might one day be here. I didn't know your faces then. But, um, you know, I, I was so blessed in the first service to look out and see all the folks here. And I have had an opportunity to spend time with Amy, with Jenny, with others. I was here the night um, that Ashley, I actually preached that night. I was here with Todd when Ashley was um, ordained and then put in place as the leader here. So I feel like I've come home in so many ways. I want to speak for a minute um, to this text, to this idea of Pentecost, uh, which, you know, the Anglican Church like totally embraces this in, in the way that I'm going to talk about because we have seasons, if you're not around the Anglican Church, we have seasons that span every year where we focus on different aspects of the work of God. And the longest season is this season Pentecost. We actually call it ordinary time because what I'm about to talk about today is to be the baseline for all our life, like for all our life, not for like a segmented, this is just my spiritual life thing. So let's get into this conversation. I'm going to jump into it this way, that things happen. I mean, they just happen. The world that we live in is absolutely relentless. It's one thing after another since the day we were born, and we all said amen. We're dealing with the circumstances and trying to navigate them every day. Um, truth is, you didn't get to pick your parents, did you? You didn't get to pick the weather today, although I haven't been outside for a while, but it was pretty nice when I came in this morning. You didn't get to pick the home that you grew up in. You didn't get to pick the, the family environment that you grew up in. This world that we live in is relentless. These things just happen to you. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch into a grammar lesson. Real short, but I think you need it. I need to be reminded regularly. I was so awful. When I went to um, law school, I had to get a tutor in basic grammar. I just didn't learn it going, I didn't want to know it. Greek grammar. A couple things that I want you to know about it. Slides up there. There is this passive voice that I was just speaking to. And that passive voice is that things just happened to you. They weren't of your own doing. We got that one. But you can also make things happen, right? You're, you're a go-getter. You can get things done. Um, we call that the active voice. You're actually making things happen. My granddaughter is totally into the stage right now. She screams every time I come to the house, look at what I've done. I did it all by myself. And it's just this one thing after another. But there's also a middle voice, a third voice. The middle voice is neither fully active nor fully passive. It's kind of, I get to engage in, I get to connect with the results of someone else's action. And here we go. 
Because this is where the Christian life is lived, right? Prayer, for example. Eugene Peterson says this about prayer. Prayer that is spoken, that is offered, that is entered into. I enter into an action begun by another. Totally passive. But I get to connect with it, which is the middle voice. My creating and saving Lord and find myself participating in the results of his gracious action. In prayer, we connect to God's story for the world. In prayer, we welcome, we invite this story that's been initiated by God, that we've been invited to, to become part of our lives. We get the opportunity to actually live into it. Let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, this is the beginning of our scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we're saying is there was an absolute beginning at some point in time. We don't know time. This isn't science. There was just a beginning, and the beginning was in God, and God created. God formed. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you read that, is that active, passive, or middle? Totally passive. You weren't there at creation. I wasn't there at creation. God did that work. What about Acts 2, 1 through 4 that we read earlier? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. At this point, totally passive. I mean, they're sitting, they're there praying, and all of a sudden this wind comes, like a violent wind, like a cyclone. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, in languages that people from all over the world could understand. What is that? Passive, active, middle? No, that is middle. They began to enter into this gift that God was pouring out, and it began to change. It began to work its way out through them. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is the one that I just read a few minutes ago. The story about living water, the water of life. Like right now, I, I still work part-time as a bishop. I've been a bishop and started churches for about 28 years-ish. I mean, I'm feeling old when I say that. But what I, at, when I came out on retirement, what I decided to do was not to retire, but I'm now working full-time and taking living water, not like living water, like safe and reliable water to folks all over the world. This water thing is powerful, spiritually, physically. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. How was he glorified? We just celebrated it, his death and his resurrection. Jesus is in Jerusalem. There's this huge festival going on. It's called the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's the biggest festival in Jerusalem on an annual cycle. People from all over the world have now poured into Jerusalem for this Feast of the Tabernacles. At the center of the festival, certain things happened every day. What happened is that folks would gather at a pool in Jerusalem called Siloam. They would gather up a bunch of water, then they would 
process, proceed through the streets till they came to the temple. They would go to the highest point that they could go publicly in the temple. And when they got there, they would just pour out that water and let it run down the steps and out into the surrounding area. Now, why would they do that? Because it seems like a lot of effort to do this like every day for a week, to get buckets of water, to go to the temple, pour it out, and let it just run out into the surrounding area. To answer that question, you need to know what they were reading and what they were praying in their procession every day to the temple. They would read that portion of the prophet Ezekiel where he was being given a heavenly vision of the temple, of the very presence of God. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit right now what Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, says about that. Ezekiel says that I saw a stream of living water. And this is Ezekiel as a prophet. And as we say in the creeds, um, we believe that the Spirit spoke through the prophets. And Ezekiel said, this is what I see. This is what's coming. This is what we hope for, that there's this water that flows out under the threshold of the temple from the very presence of the living God. And as that stream flowed out into the streets, at first it was only ankle deep. And then he said, pretty soon it was waist deep. And it's just starting to fill the city and spreading out all over Jerusalem. And then pretty soon it was so deep that I had to swim across it. And then what Ezekiel said he noticed is that everywhere that that water went, it brought life. The desert sprang to life with trees. Salt water became pure and fresh. Crops were being produced, you know, in season and out of season, all year long. Ezekiel ended this vision by saying this, for they were watered by the river flowing out of the presence of God. What the crowds understood in a way that we might not understand when we hear that is because they were steeped in this scripture. They had read it and prayed it. They did it annually. They did it you know, they came to Jerusalem to celebrate this. What they believed, what they understood, what they longed for was that there would come a day when the Spirit of God was not just poured out on one person here or there, a prophet or a king or something like that, but the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, would be available to move in us and through us and in the midst of our circumstances. This is the middle voice. This is a prayer and a longing that I get to participate in something that God is doing, something that God is offering, something that God is drawing the world into. So we come to the last day of the festival. This is now the passage that I just read. The last day of the festival. The crowds have been watching and participating in for a week now, this kind of pouring out of the water thing, reading the prophet Ezekiel, thinking about all that it meant. They had heard about God's promises. And in the midst of all that, last day, they're pouring out the water. Jesus stands up and proclaims to everyone, and says, to all who believe in me, all these rituals, all this symbolism, all these promises, all the words of the prophets are fulfilled in me. Now, come on, that is a moment. They've been doing this for a week. And he says, in his flesh, standing there, he says, all this is going to come to you through me. Jesus says that all this is going to come to you through me. Today, 
here, here. Like it's going to be available to all. Not just for the confirmands, not for Clay, who's going to be baptized, but for all. This is remarkable. This is amazing. The Holy Spirit is offered in response to two things. Because it's a middle voice. It's res- it's, the Holy Spirit is offered in response to a promise by Jesus. That I'm going to pour this out on you. If you want to know what Jesus thinks about the Holy Spirit, then you only have to read three chapters. It takes you about eight minutes max to read. John 14, 15, and 16. At some point. Jesus has this huge discourse on the Holy Spirit, all that the Holy Spirit will do. Jesus says, actually, this is the best. This is the finest. This is the greatest gift that the Father God will ever, ever, ever give you. In the Nicene Creed, we say that the Holy Spirit is the what? We confess it week in, week out. The Lord and the giver of life. Here's what Jesus actually said to his followers. Acts 1, 4 On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. This is right before his ascension. This is after his resurrection. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift, the Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Just two things I want you to know about this. We're going to keep it simple. In South Carolina, we are simple folks. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the primary witness to Jesus. This is huge. This like takes a burden off. We just have to say, We'll receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, show us, will help us to be the witness, witnesses, because once we receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, then you're going to be my witnesses. J.I. Packer, um, well, let me just say that the other thing they did is they prayed. They actually did wait in Jerusalem. It was about 10 days. And there, now we catch up with that Acts 2 reading, that they're in this room. They've been praying. They've been waiting. They're kind of grieving a bit. Jesus is gone, like physically gone, not just dead. They'd seen him post-resurrection, but now he is gone. And this gift is poured out on them. J.I. Packer, um, an Anglican theologian who is no longer with us anymore, said this about this, about the work of the Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit shines like a spotlight on Jesus. Everything that the Holy Spirit does. Jesus shined like a spotlight on the Father. That was Jesus, fully God, fully man. This is how it is. This is how we live with God. And one God, just one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is worshiped, followed, and obeyed. The thing about a spotlight is what? It focuses you on where you need to be focused, and it takes your eyes off all those circumstances. Because you just focus on the spotlight, where it's pointing. All the circumstances that we deal with, that's relentless. They don't go away, but our focus, our perspective, totally, totally changes. God has a defining story. That's where I started. started with Genesis. God has a defining story. Here we are. We're going to do baptism. We're going to do confirmation. God has a defining story for our lives. And he invites you into that story. 
And the way that we step into that story is the way Jesus did. If you look at Jesus' life, he fully embraced, he was fully shaped by this story, which is called the kingdom of God. Jesus starts in his, in his divinity by saying, listen, in Mark's gospel, the kingdom of God has come near to you in me. It was kind of one of those um, moments like, you know, all the Holy Spirit stuff is going to flow through me. But then he lives it. He lives it obediently. The Holy Spirit then takes for us everything that Jesus did, the truth and the wisdom of God's story, the promise of life with God now, today, and forever, and the powerful hope that our lives can actually be abundant, like we can actually be fruitful, that we can actually live in peace. And he brings it to your life today. That's why Jesus said in so many ways that the baseline for all life in the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit. John, read those three chapters. That's all you have to read, 14, 15, 16, to get his take on the Spirit of God. He says, this is to be the environment that you call home if you're a Jesus follower. This is to be your native language. Here's what the Holy Spirit does, and now we're going to segue The Holy Spirit takes the words, the promises, and the power of God and makes them available in your life, in your circumstances, today. Here's how Jesus shared this truth, John 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is Jesus speaking about the Spirit. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Come on. How good is that? Who wouldn't want to at least go for that? That the Spirit of God will take whatever's on Jesus' heart for you and make it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So let's go forward. Let's pray. Lord, as I stand in this place from such a small perspective as mine, I just want to start by saying thank you for your goodness for your grace, for the presence of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. That there is now an Emmanuel church in this place, in this time, engaged with you, engaged with the community around them, living for the sake of others. I thank you and I praise you for your goodness, for your grace. We cry out now as a church, as we did in the parking lot before anyone ever worshipped in this building, that your Holy Spirit will come. I ask you, Holy Spirit, now to settle on us. Speak peace where there's chaos, just as you did at the very beginning of creation. Speak hope where we're in distress. Speak love where we're empty. 
Lord, give this church power. Release the gift of faith. Release a gift of imagination. Spirit-inspired that we might see you at work around us and that we might lean into that and step into that with your power, with your grace, with your healing. Come, Holy Spirit. And finally, I just say, Jesus, I'm going to take your promise. I'm going to ask that you give it and we receive it. You invited all of us who are weary, who are burdened, who are heavy laden, as you said. And that you will come and that you will give us rest and peace. And that you'll be with us. May it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen.